Welcome to the Grace for This City podcast. We're helping you turn your cities upside down. Hey, I'm your host, Justin Goff. Stay tuned. We got a great show for you today. everybody thank you for tuning in this is the grace for this city podcast and we are honored you are joining us today share it with somebody that you love my friends that will help us out all right let's get into the podcast today and uh, i want to talk about not appointed to wrath not appointed to wrath a lot of people think that um in terms of the tribulation period, which is a seven-year, seven-earth-year period on the earth. It's prophesied in like Daniel and mentioned in Revelation and other places throughout the Bible. Some people think that uh, believers, Christians, the church, the ecclesia, are going to be on the earth during that period. And so obviously that has uh, created some controversy. You have different groups that Um, teach various perspectives on that well our position is that we believe that the church the mystery church the um, revelation in particularly that was initiated through paul by jesus christ to go to all the churches um, really part of that revelation reveals that this mystery church you and i the born again believer that we are the group of people that are not appointed to wrath And so this is where the rapture comes into play because we'll be caught up prior to that seven-year period of judgment upon the earth. All right, so uh, we want to talk a little bit about that in these podcasts, a couple series probably, or a couple parts uh, starting today. And uh, let's go to Revelation chapter 1. Let's start here in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Greek word there for revelation is apocalypse. So this is the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John. This is very interesting. This is the first verse of the book of Revelation. Some people shy away from this book. I know I did for the longest time. Still, we're in a process of learning. We don't have it all figured out yet, but uh, there were lots of things in and around this book that uh, just kind of kept myself and others away from it, probably because we've been told how confusing it is. And, you know, some people say, oh, it's just a book of symbols anyways. Well, no, it's not just a book of symbols. There is symbols within the book, but it's a very important book. In fact, right here, God gave it to John to get to all of God's servants. These would be the believers that are on the earth. Of course, you know that Paul, or excuse me, not Paul, but John uh, wrote down the things that the Lord told him to write, the things that he had seen, the things that were or present or current, and then the things which are to come. And he gave copies to all of the churches because this book is a needful book. There is strategy and insight and comfort uh, there is the, as we would say, the end of the book, the story of the victory of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is within this book. And you'll see here in just a second that it's the, it says it's blessed is the man who reads and understands. But the point that I want to get you, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the revelation of the Antichrist. He's included in some of the content here. It's not the revelation of 
judgment that's included. It's actually the revelation of Jesus Christ as he comes back, gets involved in the affairs of man, sets things in order. Friends, it is a phenomenal book to encourage ourselves in. But God gave it to you and I. If you're born again, you're one of his servants. And um, uh, it's for you and I. Okay, now go down to verse 3, Revelation 1-3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. I want you to say this with me. Say, I have a Bible right to understand the book of Revelation. That's right, friends. You and I have a Bible right. It is our privilege to understand this book. And so that's our prayer today is that God would open up understanding. The eyes of our understanding would be illuminated, that we would have uh, that spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus whom this book is all about. Oh, thank you, Father. Now, let's go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We're just going to kind of scratch the surface today, but we're going to talk about not appointed to wrath. Romans 5, verse 6. I'm going to read it to you from the Amplified Classic. It says, While we were yet in weakness, powerless to help ourselves, at the fitting time, Christ died uh, for or in behalf of, the Amplified says, the ungodly. Verse 7. Now, it is an extraordinary thing for one to give his life even for an upright man, though perhaps for a noble and lovable and generous benefactor, someone might even dare to die. Verse 8, but God shows and clearly proves his own love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, died for us. That is a powerful verse, friends. While you and I, we were in weakness, we were unable, powerless to help ourselves while we were still in the depths of sin, Christ died for us. Wow, that is powerful. Verse 9, therefore, since we are now justified, acquitted, made righteous, and brought into right relationship with God by Christ's blood, how much more certain it is that we shall be saved by him, now watch this, from the indignation and wrath of God. Wow, 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 wow. That's very interesting here, and I want you to miss a couple of these details. But it says that Christ died for you and I. We were justified then by faith. Of course, you know, it requires belief. It requires your trust. It requires your heart. Okay. But if you've made that connection, if you've put your trust in the Lord Jesus in his substitutionary work, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit then was given for you to cause your spirit to be born again. All right. So we're assuming then. Uh, that you are. Now, if you're not, friends, don't delay. Accept Jesus Christ today. The Bible says anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You don't have to have some eloquent prayer or speech here. You just simply need to rend your heart before him and say, Jesus, I call on you. I need you. Take my life and do something significant with me, uh, with it. Save me. Deliver me. I'm, I'm telling you, that prayer will save anybody right there. Or come up with your own words. Let your heart speak, friends. 
listen, a lot of people are just repeating prayers and they don't mean, uh, it doesn't mean anything to them. I don't know. I, you know, I mean, I'm, I, sometimes I wrestle between, you know, kind of uh, coercing people into saying these salvation prayers. Listen, if they don't mean it, if they don't believe it, it didn't do anything for them. Um, you got to believe it. You've got to mean it. Uh, but if you are in that place today, friends, do not delay. Call on Jesus and you will be saved today. Hallelujah. All right. But here's what I want to uh, draw our attention to this detail here is this is Romans chapter 5. All right. So Paul is writing to converts here. These are Christians. These are believers. These are people who have been born again. Notice this detail that we have been justified by the blood of Jesus. We've been made right with God. Okay. Then the Bible says that we have a certainty. Okay. We know we've been born again, but here Paul's writing and he's saying, but also have certainty that even though you were saved, even though you are born again, the very fact that you are born again is a certainty that you will also be delivered from the wrath of God. Wait, wait, wait. I thought I was already going to be destined for the wrath of God prior to being born again, where you were, but then you got born again. But then there's an additional uh, um, thought that we're to take certainty from, to put our hope and trust in, is that even though we're born again, we're going to be delivered from the wrath of God. Listen, the wrath of God is going to be poured out upon the earth, friends, but he's saying born again people are going to be spared or delivered from it. Now that may have been understood to you as it was to me, but as I've gone over this, there's been a little nuance that I missed there in that detail because there are people who are preaching and teaching right now that just because you're born again, doesn't exempt you from being on the earth during the time of global judgment. I'm saying, friends, it it actually, it does, and this is what the Bible's telling us here, that by the way, you were born again. Uh, take hope. Uh, you can be certain that you are also going to be saved or delivered from wrath that is coming very soon, my friends. Now look at Nahum chapter 1, verse 6. It says this, who can stand before his indignation and who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire and the rocks are thrown down by him. <laughs> That's in Nam 1.6. And I had to look it up because I wasn't immediately aware of the historical context here, but right in the time frame of that passage, uh, somewhere around 612 B.C., Nineveh was destroyed. You know, what's this prophetic word saying? It's like when God pours out his wrath and indignation, who can stand before it? Nobody is the answer. Now, this is why it's very important that Romans tells us, listen, you can take certainty, okay? You can take certainty that you will be out of the way when God's wrath is poured out because Nobody can stand before it, but there's a provision for those who are born again, and it's called deliverance. You and I also know this other provision, and it's called the rapture or the harpazo. We're going to be caught up, snatched away, just in time, right before. What? 
this moment that's coming upon the earth, friends, of God's wrath and indignation. Now, we're going way back, and we're looking at what the prophets had declared about God. And in this particular uh, prophetic unction in Nahum chapter 1, verse 6, it doesn't have to do with the great tribulation period coming upon the earth, but it does have to do with tribulations, okay? It does have to do with the wrath of God that has come in various ways and forms, but it's not specifically referring to the great time of God's wrath. Now, but you and I, we're living upon uh, the time of Bible prophecy where that seven-year period is upon us. And so we're saying, what are we to put our comfort in? You know, when you read the prophecies about uh, the apocalyptic prophecies concerning what's going to happen during those seven years is uh, the bloodshed and the pestilence and the, uh, the death. I, I mean, millions and millions and millions of people, the Bible prophesies, are going to die during this period. There's these sealed judgments that are unlocked and great turmoil comes upon the earth. Listen, people are acting like, um, you know, for, for like you and I, people have these doctrines that are like, tough it up, man. We're going to be going through this. It's going to be awesome. You know, and it's like we're made to feel weak or stupid or uh, like we're escapists or, you know, somehow sissies or something if we believe in the rapture. No, 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 no. Listen, d- d- don't, don't overestimate yourself. The Bible is saying there's going to be a time that is going to be unlike any other time on the face of the earth. There's been some crazy things happen. And that seven-year period is going to be so severe. It's intentionally severe because it's judgment. But he's saying, listen, those who are made righteous in Christ, you're not going to be there to have to witness this stuff. You know, I, 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 listen, there can be like this sense of pride. I don't know. Like it's... Uh, it doesn't. In fact, rapture theology actually is is quite humble <laughs> theology. You know, if you think about it, like we're in total need of the deliverer. We don't even know if we can emotionally stomach the judgment that's going to be coming upon people as they're literally just uh, uh, just judgment is destroying these people. I mean, who do we think we are as the church? We're going to sit back. What What are you going to do? Uh, in some sense here. It's almost like the mercy of the Lord to spare us from seeing destruction coming upon another human being. So listen, let's let's not get into pride here, you know, about some of these events. Let's let's let the Bible tell us what's God's plan. He knows best, my friends, not you and I. And uh, listen, the Jews do not need us in this sense, you know, to provoke them to jealousy. Um, that scripture's in there, and there's another way that he's going to do that. But um, uh, and I and I'll tell you, the greatest uh, provocation unto repentance is when the saints return with the Messiah, and they're like, "Oh man, we missed that." Yeah, and that's the prophecy of Zechariah that a fountain is going to be opened because it'll be such mourning when they look upon him who they pierced, and not just him, but the millions and billions of both Jews and Gentiles alike who got born again, who returned with him, it is going to be, I, the Bible says there will be such wailing, such uh, a deep groan of repentance and sorrow because they rejected him. They had time. That's a provocation right there unto repentance, friends. All right, 
that's that's another topic for a, another day. We're we're talking about not uh, that we believers you're not appointed to wrath. That's where I'm going here. I'm going to show you the scriptures that r- really and and unless you just intentionally make this complicated uh, or or you keep trying to force the Bible to say something it's not saying. I believe you're going to see that you and I, I'm talking about the born-again believer, whether you were Jew or you were a Gentile, if you are born again, you are not a Jew, you are not a Gentile, uh, you know, as far as in the eyes of the Lord, you may still have your your uh, your place of birth, your cultural experiences, all that, that's fine, that's great. But I'm saying in the eyes of God, you are a unique person now. You are, you are the ecclesia. You are a unique people group a royal people, a holy nation. You're not the nations generic, and you are not the, uh, you are not Israel. You are not the Jewish nation. If you're born again, you are a different nation now. Uh, and your politico, your place, your citizenship is no longer earthly. You cannot find your citizenship in a nation anywhere if you are born again. You are now uh, seated in the heavenlies. That's your seat of government now. Everything's changed for you, friend. Everything is different for us. And the gospel, though, is still being extended to anybody. He said, go everywhere to all creatures, everywhere proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. The ecclesia is Jesus's inheritance of all tribes, tongue, nations, etc. All right. So, this is very important. Some of these little details, people are just flying over, and no wonder their eschatology is screwed up. So you and I are not appointed to wrath. We're, we're the only particular people, a peculiar, peculiar people, we're not appointed to wrath. You're not, you are not going to be here, friends. You wouldn't want to be here. Millions of people are going to die. They're going to be slaughtered. The Bible talks about the, the, the bloodshed being you know, up to a horse's bridle. What is that, six, seven feet? You do not want to be here. <laughs> but we must work while it's still day. And in light of impending judgment coming upon the earth, I'm telling you, there should be some hustle put, put uh, stirred up in us. And uh, I'm telling you, I don't care what you believe, but if, if we are lazy about the gospel, friends, we've got other problems. And, you know, our eschatology is the least of our concerns if we're just lazy uh, Christians. Hallelujah, somebody. Get out there and get some stuff done for Jesus, friends. Hallelujah. All right. Nahum 1.6. Let's go back there. Again, who can stand before his indignation? Short answer, nobody. And who can endure the fierceness of his anger? Again, the answer, no one. His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. Of course, I just said that. Uh, right around 612 BC, Nineveh was destroyed. Now, this was um, not the same time when Jonah was sent to Nineveh. That was somewhere right around 750 BC-ish. And at that time, God spared the city because they repented. And his compassionate response to their hearts being turned to him spared them and kept them from wrath and destruction. But in Nahum 1.6, that's a different time. That's, those were different people there. And they rejected the Lord. And guess what happened? Well, wrath. They experienced 
wrath. Now, while at times God is obviously causative of certain events, things, activities, situations, he's also permissive. And uh, these two things are quite different. And uh, I want to touch on that just a little bit in the time that we have left in this first podcast. But the Bible, um, sometimes the translators, when in particularly like in the Old Testament where the Hebrew verbs had more of a causative uh, sense or connotation to them, sometimes they translated it uh, permissive or the other way around where it should have been more permissive. They translated it as causative and it looked like God was causing certain things when in actuality, it wasn't necessarily that he was the architect of the event. It was his permissive will uh, because judgment had to be made in that situation. I'm going to read you a couple verses that will help make sense. But before we look at that, look at Psalm 89, verse 14. Something we need to know about God is he is judge. God is judge. Everything, absolutely everything comes 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 before him. Everything, absolutely everything comes before the judge almighty. Psalm 89, 14, it says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. The King James Version says, justice and judgment are the habitation or the foundation of thy throne. Listen, that's pretty important, friends. Judgment is the foundation of his throne. And I think you can uh, see that and understand that. Now, some people talk about the sovereignty of God as God is absolutely in, in control of absolutely everything. And while there's some truth to the fact that he is sovereign, he is distinct, but he's not necessarily absolutely the architect of everything because uh, there is this thing about judgment and he weighs the hearts of man. I'm tr- trying to see if I got the scripture pulled up here. Right here, Proverbs 21, 2. It says, every way of man is right in his own eyes, meaning man thinks everything he does is good, appropriate, whatever. But then it goes on to say, but the Lord weighs and tries the heart. So man thinks he's right, but God is the one that actually has the ability to look down on the heart level. Man looks on the outside, God judges the heart. All right, and because God is judge, he's judge. Listen, everything, absolutely everything comes before the Father. The Bible says that two sparrows can't even fall out in the middle of nowhere, and he doesn't know about it. Everything, absolutely everything, comes before the Father. But what does he do? He's weighing the hearts, friends. God is weighing the heart. While man can and does sow seeds of destruction, even ignorantly and or even willingly, It is God, the righteous judge, who ultimately, by weighing the evidence and examining the heart, permits the access to the harvest associated. God desires that none should perish. We found that out. But yet, he reserves his compassion specifically towards those who have a heart turned towards him. Lamentation 3, 22 and 23 says, Though the Lord's mercies, excuse me, through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Remember that song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. This verse says, Great is God's faithfulness. So here's something we understand about God. Is he weighs the heart. But remember in Galatians chapter six it says this God is not what? 
Can you finish that? God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. If you sow to the flesh, remember this is Galatians 6, of the flesh you shall reap destruction. If you sow to the spirit, you shall reap what? Life. All right, so this is a very interesting paradigm that has to be added here. We also see it in Deuteronomy 30, where it says that uh, God said, I'm setting witnesses this day against you, heaven and earth as witnesses. He says, therefore, choose life. If you choose the cursing, uh, excuse me, if you choose the curse, you're going to get death. If you choose the blessing, you're going to get life. And he said, I'm going to set up witnesses against you, though. Why is this important? Because God's not going to be held to blame for the decisions you and I make, in particularly in light of when his mercies abound towards us, and he's giving us warning after warning after warning. He's sending his prophets. He's sending teachers. He's sending neighbors. He puts signs in the heavenlies. He puts signs in the earth. He gets his word to you. He may even send an angel. He's got uh, an inner witness that he's put in you. He's, he is helping us. He is helping us. He is helping us. His spirit is helping us. People are helping us. He sends people to help us. He will get a warning to us, but he's not going to be held to blame when he says, don't do that, and you do it. He, what does he have to do? He has to accurately judge the situation. And if you sow a seed of destruction and refuse to repent and call out for mercy, as the judge, what does he have to do? He has to permit the reality or the consequences of your decisions. Doesn't mean he's the causative architect. It just means that his permission through judgment allows the reality of your decisions, your dumb decisions, even. Hallelujah. Um, let me see here. There's a verse here. Uh, let me find this verse real quick. I, I think it'll be uh, fitting here. Right here, Proverbs 19.3. It says, The foolishness of a man twists his way, and his heart frets against the Lord. Let me read it to you from the Amplified. It says, the foolishness of man subverts his way or ruins his affairs. Then his heart is resentful against the Lord. The easy-to-read version makes it easy to read. It says, people run their lives with the foolish things they do, and then they blame the Lord for it. <laughs> ah, right? Well, you know, God is sovereign. Well, he didn't make you do that stupid thing you just did. Now, he's merciful. And he tried to get to you ahead of time and says, hey, don't do that. Even somebody, maybe a neighbor, a brother, a sister, a mom, a dad, a pastor, uh, just a stranger sees you about to do something stupid and said, don't do that. That's the mercy of God trying to intervene in this situation. Well, sometimes people blow right past wisdom, counsel, and instruction. And what do they do? They run their lives and then say, God did this to me. God's sovereign, and he caused me uh, to get sick, even though I ate 500 Twinkies every day for the last 15 years. God did this to me. God caused my system to shut down and implode on itself. No, he didn't, friends. You 
blew past all wisdom and counsel and just common sense had nothing to do with God. Now, did God cause your body to break down? He did not. The sugar intake and your lack of having any consideration for how to take care of yourself is what caused it. But along the way, along the way, he tried to get counsel to you. But in your foolishness, you rejected counsel. So did he cause this? Did God in his sovereignty cause this? No, my friends. He cannot be mocked in this situation. Now, you can call on him and he'll get you out. It may be a little bit of a process, but he's going to get you out. If you rend yourself to him, he's going to get you out. But did he cause this? No, he did not cause it. Did it come before him? He everything, absolutely everything came before him. When somebody cried out because they saw you being stupid, eating that garbage you were eating, they said, God, oh, they made intercession for you. Guess what? That came before him. That came before the judge. You know what he's doing? He's weighing the situation. He's having to weigh the intercession that's coming in for your ignorant uh, self. He's weighing uh, what's going on in your own heart. He's weighing that you're blaming him as your body's breaking down. He's weighing your rejection to good counsel and truth and correction. He's weighing all of this. Why? Because he's the judge. Everything, absolutely everything comes before the judge. But did he cause your plight? Friends, he had to make a judgment, and judgment allows certain things to take place. Judgment allows certain consequences, or we should say harvests judgment to enter into your situation. That's permiss- that's permissive. But permissive is not always his will. Just because he has to permit something because of your deafness is not the same thing as him causing it or willing it to be in your life. In fact, many times throughout even the scripture, he sent his word not once, not twice, not five, not 10, not 30. He has sent his word countless times. In fact, it cries out from the coffee table next to the Twinkie box in the Bible. Wisdom is calling out to you. He sent his word time and 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 time again. He sent his word. Why? Because it's his heart that none should perish from an implosion of Twinkie abuse. None should perish, he said. None. None. That's his will that you would not perish. But some people would rather spend time mocking God and saying they know better. But even after all that, friends, even after all that, we have record after record after record after story after story of the mercies of the Lord. And he's saying this fool has rejected me on countless occasions and now his body is broke 
Her body is broke. Their body is broke. But yet God said, if they will but call on me, I will rescue them. Hallelujah, friends. Wow. That's very important that you and I understand that. What a privilege we have, friends. What a privilege you and I have to take advantage of the mercies of the Lord. Don't be a fool, friends, and continue to plow past God's good counsel. He's going to save us. He's going to rescue us. Even as the judge, he's got a, uh, it says mercies before his face there in Psalm 89 even though he's the judge. And he has to judge. He has to judge. You don't want anybody else judging, friends. You don't want anybody else weighing your heart because nobody would do it with honesty or integrity or truth like the Father will and does. He's the only one capable. He's the only one worthy of it. He's the only one who can do it. And he's weighing hearts. He's weighing hearts hearts. Now, let me close on this because we're getting about out of time. Let me give you this, and this will set me up for the next podcast. The Hebrew language use of verb tenses were not always interpreted in light of permissive possibilities, but were as a general rule to have been interpreted to interpret the subject as being the active agent or causative. This is why you think God is sovereign in your life, and he's making you eat Twinkies. I'm telling you, friends, God is not making you eat anything. He's not making you destroy your body in any way. You are doing that. You're being tempted to do that because there's a thief, there's a destroyer, there's a liar out there, the devil. God isn't making you. You say, well, you know, no, uh-uh, no, uh-uh. God's sovereign. God's sovereign. He put that box of Twinkies there during the night. He's sovereign. He did it. He did it. Everything I'm doing, God is the cause or the active agent of. (laughs) No, I'm sorry, friends. He may be permissive in this sense, but I'm telling you, it's coming before him, and there will be a point to where there has to be an accurate judgment made concerning your situation. And he's going to be weighing you all your thoughts, the intents of your heart, your motivation, your rejection of counsel, all that is evidence that comes before him. Deuteronomy 30 says, he already set up witnesses against you. Heaven and earth is watching the decisions you are making. Heaven and earth are witnesses, and if they need to be, they'll be called on the witness stand. God will not be held to blame for what happens to man. Not when his mercy and his compassion and his truth has gone forth in the person of Jesus Christ. He says, believe on him and you'll be saved, friends. So right here, there's the active agent or the causative tenses of these verbs. Listen to this from a noted uh, Hebrew scholar. Instead, it says, active verb tense is commonly used by translators and or what we'd say the causative verb tense. Many times the translators would use that in place of permissive. And it's up to the reader then. The reader is meant to understand from context or known nature of things or the known character of the person, i.e. the revealed character of God, say, that permission or occasion is being implied. 
Exodus chapter 12, verse 12, it says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Now, you probably know this story here. I'm going to leave you on a cliffhanger here in just a second, but I'm going to read this verse. And it says that uh, the way it reads in the New King James is, I will pass through the land of Egypt, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Verse 13. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now look at verse 23, Exodus 12, 23. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. But when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and watch this, not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. Well, this is very interesting because in these verses, it sounds like the Lord was saying I was going to come in and strike you. But then in verse 23, the Lord says, I won't allow the destroyer to come in and destroy you or strike you or kill you, basically. So who is actually doing the striking? Well, the Bible says the destroyer is actually doing the striking. And with that, my friends, we're going to close the podcast. I'm going to tell you who the destroyer is because the Bible actually defines who this character, the destroyer, is. We're going to see it in Revelation. We started there, and we're going to start there again in the next podcast. Listen, thank you for tuning in. I hope this has helped you in some way, encouraged you, strengthened you, and you know what? Challenged you. Stop blaming God, friends. He wants to help you. He wants to help you. Oh, hallelujah. He has helped me so many times. Hey, thank you for tuning in. Listen, we've got a project going on here. We call it the Studio Project. We've got a building on our property that we're going to build three studio sets in. Yes, hallelujah. I'm super excited about that. We're going to, over there, we're also going to have an expanded podcast studio. If you're watching me now, uh, you'll see the studio set here, but over there at this other building, we can expand it a little bit. It's going to be awesome. I'm inviting you to participate. Help us accomplish that vision where we can create more content just like this and others and get it further around the world. We've been in 155, a little over 155 nations and growing strong because of partners just like you. Thank you so much for considering how you may participate in that studio project. Any gift is tax deductible. You can go to the website, gracecitychurch.tv forward slash give. Select the drop down menu. You'll see where it says studio project. If you want some more information on that, you can reach out to us. Send us an email at hello at gracecitychurch.tv. And we'll tell you a little more about that project here real soon. I'm going to start doing some videos. Keep you up to date on the progress that's being made over there. Hallelujah. This has been the Grace for This City Project. Uh, uh, I was going to say Grace for This City Project. This has been the Grace for This City Podcast. And until next time, my friends, be blessed.